Hello and welcome to season two of Chic Podcast with Kat Sark, where we explore the most pressing issues in fashion studies, fashion education, culture, media, and technology from a perspective of decoloniality, sustainability, and social justice. The 29th episode was recorded remotely with Jasmine Chavez-Helm, who is a fellow fashion scholar, researcher, and podcaster. And in 2015, she co-founded Unravel, a fashion podcast which focuses on fashion history. Jasmine grew up in La Puente, California and in New York City. She earned her BA in art history from Cal State Fullerton and her MA in the fashion and textile studies in the history, theory and museum practice program at FIT. Jasmine has worked as a curator and archivist in Los Angeles and New York. She's passionate about exploring the cross-cultural intersections between history, art, fashion, media, and people. Her current research and Instagram archive focus on the dress and textile culture of the indigenous people and Afro-Nicaraguans in the Atlantic coast of Nicaragua and Honduras. Dear Jasmine, welcome to Chic Podcast, and thank you for taking the time to record it remotely. Could you please introduce yourself and tell us more about your work and your interests in fashion? Hello, my name is Jasmine Chavez-Helm, and I am the co-founder and co-host of Unravel, a fashion podcast, and it is a pleasure to be on Chic. Thank you so much for having me. I have worked in museums and fashion archives, museums and art galleries for over 10 years with a focus on fashion for over five years. Um, Not only am I the host for Unravel, currently we've been on hiatus with the pandemic and life stuff happening, um, but I currently work as a digital asset association at a nonprofit And I have an independent archive entitled at Recuerdos de Nicaragua, which is on Instagram, which focuses on the dress and textile material culture of the indigenous and Afro populations in the Atlantic Mosquito Coast of Nicaragua and Honduras. I have managed this archive for the last three to four years, and I am proud to say that we have hundreds of digital assets as well as about 50 to 100 physical objects. So it's grown immensely, and we hope to make sure it continues to grow. You're one of the co-founders of the fashion podcast Unravel, and what I love about your podcast is that you were always very critical about the various aspects of fashion and would provide critical commentary on different fashion news and events. My favorite episode was your discussion of the racist graduation show at FIT in the spring of 2020, just before COVID hit. What are your thoughts on fashion education, the importance of fashion criticism, and why we need to decolonize fashion studies and fashion education now? Dina, Joy, and I began Unravel to highlight the work of people of color designers and fashion figures in marginalized communities and subcultures that have not been largely represented in fashion history because there's been really a focus on Western fashion from Europe and the United States. And even within those two areas of the world, 
there are obviously people of color throughout those areas. And even though our fashion and our style has been, you know, lifted for inspiration and re put out on the runway, the origins of it have largely been forgotten. So we not only wanted to focus on that and raise awareness regarding that. We also wanted to expand the canon of fashion history to include non-Western clothing, material culture, and, and history, which is largely not included. We believe fashion criticism and decolonizing fashion studies is essential in order for the growth of fashion and for the growth of these designers and awareness for these fashion figures. The industry has been pigeonholed with a focus on on Western fashion for centuries. So I think it is about damn time that we start to expand it. And it seems as though the world is starting to catch on, that the larger fashion industry is realizing that it needs to reframe itself in order to be more quote-unquote inclusive otherwise it's just going to stagnate and fashion always moves forward if you could reform fashion education how would you go about that oh if i could reform fashion education um i would start by completely restructuring the curriculum to include designers of color or POC designers and fashion movements. Like I said previously, the current focus in fashion education is on Western fashion in Europe and the U.S. However, everybody wears clothes throughout the world and has a sense of style or representations of uh, changes within style and expressions through clothing and through the body. And I remember when I was at FIT for my graduate program, we only had one semester of world fashion. And obviously, it would probably take a whole PhD program, maybe even more, a lifetime to get through the history of fashion in the world, but really one semester is ridiculous, ridiculously short, and I would expand that to a full year um, at the very least in terms of discussing quote-unquote world fashion, which it's a funny name for it because it leaves off Western fashion, but it focuses on not. Anyway, <laughs> I digress. Um <clears throat> And the reason why it is important to reframe the curriculum to not only include uh, POC designers of movements and to expand the canon to include non-Western fashion is because so much of Western fashion in Europe and the U.S. has taken inspiration and even more largely resources, not only natural resources, but labor from Asia, Africa, Latin America, and indigenous groups. So I think it is essential for us to reframe how uh, fashion is thought of. I would also include a broad group of guest lecturers and specialists that could speak to such topics. Obviously, it's impossible for, you know, one professor to be um, uh, to be able to speak to everything. And I think it's so important because um, 
fashion does work in sort of, I don't want to say community-based, but it, uh, it takes large networks in order to get fashion moving. And I think by having a large group of guest lecturers and these specialists to speak to these topics, it's sort of mirroring what how the inter- the industry functions itself. I would also, especially for fashion history students, have a course or a mini course focused on various careers in fashion and what professional opportunities are available to students. Um, I didn't realize that uh, digital asset management, which is basically the organizing of photography um, within a database, was available to me. And it takes a lot of... um, tools and skills that you learn from archiving, which I was lucky to have um, some uh, under, I'm sorry, graduate uh, development and uh, training in that within my courses. So that was one of the uh, great things about the FIT program is they did provide hands-on professional training for uh, museum and archival industries, but the fashion uh, world has so many opportunities, um, whether it's in marketing or communications or PR. So these are places where fashion history students can apply their knowledge and their expertise and um, move forward and have fruitful careers. Many fashion educators are slowly coming to see how unethical exploitation of people and the planet are rooted in colonial practices and white supremacist narratives of fashion history and fashion theory. But many are still reluctant to reform fashion education to include an anti-racist and ethical approach to fashion focused on inclusion. Why do you think the idea of fashion as elitist, exclusionary, and exploitative still appeals to people? I think the reason why it is appealing to think of fashion as elitist, exclusionary, and exploitative is because fashion is inherently escapist and fantastical and untouchable and that's part of its allure that's been it's a it's allure for centuries and it's a much easier to keep something or someone like certain designers on a pedestal rather than face the true realities of the industry and its potential dark history and and current impact being critical and analytical is uncomfortable and it's so much easier to just think about fashion superficially because it has been thought of that way for so long. And it's not until really within the last 20 years, I think fashion has been taken seriously as a um, cultural, a, a part of culture that is important and is so much more complex than what it's been previously thought. It's always been thought of as frivolous and a lot of the frivolity has a lot to do with it being part of the uh, female domain and part of women's lives, which obviously sexism believes that women are inherently frivolous and not as intelligent or uh, complex as things associated with the male quote-unquote 
domain. And really, the more we investigate fashion, the more exhibitions that um, go up, the more films that are are made showing just the real genius and um, the complexities surrounding the industry, not only the industry, but the history, the more we realize that fashion is an important part of our culture and has a lot of reach throughout our lives. And in order to really investigate that, we need to be analytical and be critical and really make designers and the industry face itself and make them sort of rethink how they're doing things. And it it is working slowly but surely. We have fashion publications that are beginning to be more inclusive, quote unquote. We have um, major design houses such as Gucci that are bringing on fashion consultants like Kimberly Jenkins in order to discuss areas of appropriation to be more sensitive towards POC communities that they take inspiration from. But I think because within, especially with digital media, there has been a way for us to be critical in a very rapid way, like with accounts like Diet Prada. And uh, those accounts get a lot of reach. And so when they get a lot of reach and followers that are commenting and resharing, it puts pressure on the industry. It puts pressure on these designers to be, have to, um, you know, say something and answer for what it is they're doing. So it is actually um, starting to work. <laughs> and it's a great thing to, to see and to be a part of during this current, current climate. What advice would you give to young fashion professionals, designers, and students on how to avoid cultural appropriation or cultural insensitivity in fashion? The advice I would give to young fashion professionals and designers, students, on how to avoid cultural appropriation and insensitivity in fashion is to always question fashion, always question what what you're doing and where your influences may have come from and to do your own research. The fashion history of people of color, of non-represented communities, of non-Western fashion is not nicely wrapped up in a textbook or in one class. It takes a lot of initiative to find the answers, but the resources are out there and becoming more and more available every day. So not only do I recommend Unravel as a resource, <laughs> but uh, the Fashion and Race Database, um, which was founded by Kimberly Jenkins, is a great place to start and to familiarize yourself um, with other, not only to begin this type of research in terms of a POC fashion history, but also uh, other resources are recommended. Um, another great resource in terms of also just seeing, um, you know, critical fashion historical language is Fashioning the Self, which was a page about um, dress culture and uh, material culture of enslaved 
Africans in the United States. It's an Instagram page and Facebook page that was founded by Jonathan Michael Square, a wonderful friend and colleague. I also recommend the Berg Fashion Library. Just um, they have great articles and critical articles on fashion all over the world. Um, I also recommend institutions like the Caribbean Cultural Center for African uh, Dia- for the African Diaspora. Um, they also have great lectures and resources in terms of, you know, language surrounding how to discuss um, Black, Caribbean, and Latin American art. Um, there are also plenty of Instagram pages that uh, you can follow that have great captions and beautiful images or really thought-provoking images such as Brown History, which focuses on the history of South and Southeast Asian um, history. And uh, if you're searching for a Latin American podcast, I recommend Nacion Moda. Um, it is in Spanish, but... Um, it is a great uh, fashion-based podcast focused on Latin America, and uh, they do a lot of questioning and regarding cultural appropriation in addition to um, you know broad, broadening and uh, fashion, the fashion dialogue to include Latin America. If you could curate any fashion exhibition, what would you include and why? Oh, if I could curate any fashion exhibition, what would I include and why? This is a tough question. I've been, I've curated uh, several shows for about a, I was curating for about five years. Most recently, I was part of the, the Caribbean Cultural Center for African Diaspora Institute, also known as CADI in New York. I was one of their curatorial fellows and for you had to pitch an exhibition. And for that exhibition, it was called Fashion Statements of the Mosquito Coast, um, which was focusing on the dress of the indigenous and Afro populations in Nicaragua and uh, Honduras from colonization to the present and inclusive of current reclamation practices. So I'd love to do that show. But I have yet to see an exhaustive Latin American and Caribbean fashion exhibition that covers periods from the pre-Columbian period to the present. And it would be a massive undertaking. It would probably take years to really put this show together. But I believe a large institution like the Met or the Getty has the space and the funding to take on such an endeavor. And of course, you would have to work with institutions all over Latin America and with specialists in, um, you know, pre-Columbian cultures and uh, indigenous cultures of the area. But I really feel that Latin America is forgotten as an important fashion center. Not only has in Mexico, Central America, the Caribbean, and South America influenced numerous styles and trends throughout history, but it's also been a resource center since the 1500s, from everything from cochineal and logwood used for dyes to precious metals such as silver and gold. And this conversation really has not been discussed to its fullest. And I think it would be a really exciting, beautiful, intoxicating show, but 
but it would also be incredibly thought provoking and really reframe Latin America, showcase its influence throughout the greater fashion system. And is there anything else you would like to share with our listeners? Well, I want to thank Kat and Sheik so much for having me on the podcast. It has been an absolute pleasure. And these were really great, thought-provoking questions. If you would like to learn more about Unravel and our listen to our episodes, uh, feel free to find us and visit our website at unravelpodcast.com. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Unravel Podcast. In addition, you can find me at Jazz Tear, J-A-S-T-A-R-E on Instagram. And my project is called At Recuerdos de Nicaragua. It is a mouthful. I'll just type it out to Kat to plug in. <laughs> and... Uh, you can also find me at my website, jasminechavezhelm.com. Thank you so much. And um, I wish you listeners a safe and sound uh, life since it's been crazy during this pandemic. So take care of yourselves always. Bye. That's it for the 29th episode of Chic Podcast. I'd like to thank Jasmine Chavez-Helm for taking the time to record this podcast with me and for all of her inspiring work. The music you hear is Bach's Prelude in C major, performed by the very talented Matteo Tanzi. Thank you for listening. Please share the link to this episode on your social media channels. You can find me on Instagram under at Canadian Fashion Scholars. And until next time. <laughs>